Hey everybody, this is Brian Brodeur, and Alex Aldea is again sitting in as guest host for me here on the East Main Podcast. Here's part two of his conversation. Take it away, Alex. I'm very curious, you're an East Coast guy, and... Always. Oh, that is always the designation, yes. I don't know if it's a fish-out-of-water character to play Kenny on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because he's so he's so East Coast, and he's so kind of like, <laughs> right. this is me and, you know, F you if you don't like it kind of thing. But when I met you personally, you've certainly acclimated to the L.A. lifestyle. You do yoga, you eat well, you eat healthy, you keep healthy, you go to the gym, do everything to keep your body and your mm-hmm. spirit and your soul in a contiguous whole. Uh, could you talk a little bit about yoga and what effect that's had on your life and meditation? I would love to. Yeah, please do. To also give New York and the East Coast its due, the discovery of my yoga practice, Alex, was in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was eating relatively clean, and I've been devoted to the health of my body and mind for many years before I came to Los Angeles. So the things that you are so honorably complimenting me on my thank you for all of that were in place when I came out here the move to Los Angeles for me was more about a lifestyle and an environment that had more tranquility than what had been the case to that time I love New York Kenny is a New York show it's going to shoot there when we sell it and I look forward to that happening I look forward to Whatever the next trip to New York will be for, whether that's Kenny or something before we're shooting Kenny. And the move to California was not in a vital way a rejection of New York, but it was more an identification that what served me as a person was something that had more peace in the environment. New York's a place where it's pugnacious and it's anxious and it's going to rage at you and be very, very confrontational at times. And for many years, I believe that's all I wanted. And none of that is a negative, by the way. I'm not making any negative judgments in describing New York in this way. There are beautiful and peaceful parts of New York, too. But they're inside a characterological nature of New York that is bold and can be brash and is one that is about challenging people to bring it up to a certain bar. New York doesn't ever stop. They say the city that never sleeps. And if you take that a little further, for me, it's the city that never stops challenging you to look at, are you answering this call? Because we're not stopping. We're always calling you. And are you answering? And that's what New York is in many ways to me, and I I believe to many other people. And frankly, I have so much of that in myself that when I'm my life through yoga, by the way, and other things that had given me a more meditative silence and peace, I realized that there was joy for me in living in an environment that was more peace-giving. And I found that there was a process I needed to go through of resistance to that 
for probably at least a year and a half, maybe longer, because I was so entrenched in New York and I had so much imagistic and egotistical attachment to New York that I felt I'd be letting myself down or letting other people down, that there was something about me that couldn't live in Los Angeles because I was, it was New York was so much my history and so much my life. And frankly, that was all very superficial. I am going to be the person that I am wherever I am because that's my nature and that's my truth. Mm -hmm. And these other things that were resisting me were actually attached to me not wanting to give myself what I knew was going to serve me best, which was an environment that said, hey, it's okay. You're going to work today and you're going to work hard and it's going to be great and you're going to be surrounded by a feeling of peace. Mm -hmm. And that's what California provides me with. And when I'm back in New York, it's, it's like being back in the gym and it's fabulous and I love it. And we're working the heavy bag. And <laughs> that's what Kenny's life is all about. And I do see having dual residences as potentially a part of my life going forward. Uh, definitely. Though mm -hmm. so in this time, it was right for me to be in Los Angeles. And it is worth mentioning that I come to Los Angeles and the most notable thing that happens here is me launching a television show that we'll shoot in New York. And a, and a television show <laughs> that is so ultimately New York. I mean, the show, he's a cop, he's Irish, he's from Queens, he's dealing with the streets and the City Hall at the same time. It's just fabulous in so many ways as a kismetic representation of this truth that New York is always the place. New York is always the home. I was born in White Plains and my life in so many ways launched and was birthed in New York City. And Kenny's a great symbol of the fact that that doesn't ever change and it won't ever change and nor do I want it to. Hey, first of all, I applaud you for finding that for yourself. A lot of folks struggle with that to ad admit to themselves that they need to give themselves more self-care in that way. Mm -hmm. And especially in our industry, I'll just say, I mean, there are mental health issues with a lot of actors in terms sure. of anxiety, depression, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think you're championing and trumpeting a particular idea or sense of being around being an actor and being conscious and taking care of yourself in that way. And that I applaud you for that. That's something that I think maybe more actors should talk about. Absolutely. And in the arts, there can be, I believe, statistically more anxiety and depression. I'm not sure of that, though, because I haven't been aware of, of any studies directly. Mm -hmm. Though the temperament of an actor, a creator, a performer, an artistic temperament can be one that needs a certain amount of attention that perhaps someone with a different temperament would not require. There is a vulnerability at times to an excess of feeling and thought that is not always productive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's even mysterious. And I think that's what can be 
some of the more scary experiences. And I've had a few of them myself where you don't even know why. Not that really, I mean, we're on a ball floating in space, so knowing why is really not what we're about anyway. But we <laughs> think we know why, and we're regularly under the impression that, you know, I can hold this object and I can live this life, and I'm having this thought because of this reason, I'm having this feeling because of this reason. And when all that goes away and there's this depressive feeling of entrapment and isolation and yeah. darkness that is unremitting and unrelenting, which I have experienced – and you feel that there's no reason, you don't know necessarily the reason that it's happening, that's where the currency of love is potentially at its highest. I say potentially because love is always at its highest value, no matter where you're expressing it. Though for your own psychic safety, that's where the currency of love can be of such awesome value. Make the phone call that it even hurts to make to tell someone that you're having this trouble or this difficulty, whatever word is apt for you. And or if you feel functional enough to do this, and some people might not, I've found that when I'm feeling weight of great sorrow, being of service to other people alleviates a great deal of that and sometimes eliminates it entirely. That's and wonderful. again, I know that there are some people who get into a place where they're just the, the functionality isn't even there to do that. And that's why I disclaim it to say if you feel functional enough to do that, if you have even a, a small amount of gumption to get involved with something of outreach. I find that it can create a bridge between you and moving through something that's very difficult. I've experienced it in my life. Mm -hmm. And you might even, in expressing the depressive and more isolative feelings that you're having in showing someone else that vulnerability, you also might be saving someone else some great pain and turmoil because sometimes what exacerbates this even further is the shame of the stigma that you're this creature who has this problem and this darkness and this depression and it's locked up with so much other shame about who you are and what you are and how you're defunct and all this and when we show each other our vulnerabilities and our frailties we provide not only relief for ourselves but relief potentially for other people especially if you're someone that they love and, and potentially admire. You know, when someone you admire comes to you and shares their frailties with you, I've found that it has been an extraordinarily valuable experience. And I also feel that our assistance to each other is such a vital part of what's necessary for us to have the fullest life mm -hmm. here. So, that's, you know, just another expression of it. That's pretty mind-blowing stuff. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting. Bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Do you 
do any formal type of outreach, something you regularly contribute to or put your name behind? There's not an organization I'm mm-hmm. affiliated with at the moment, okay. though that could change. Sure. To this time, it's been in my personal life, meaning when I'm on the street, when I'm interacting with people, even if it's something simple like saying hello and talking to someone who is isolated, mm-hmm. who is probably in an experience where friendship and camaraderie and acceptance are not very much a part of their lives, a homeless person or someone else who is in this state of affairs, if they're not homeless, but there's something else that's keeping them from these other reassurances. And to be vigilant of who's around me and if there is some service that I can be in a moment, as I was saying, simply saying hello to someone and talking to them, shaking their hand letting them know that they're not untouchable, that they're not uh, unseemly, and that you are their friend, Mm -hmm. period. You know, that is something that I find myself in a relatively consistent awareness of. Where can I create that awareness for other people who, who may or may not have it? And it's generally just an awareness of kindness. Where can kindness be? And it can be everywhere. Of mm-hmm. course, though, but where can the kindness be most valued and valuable? You know, there was something George Carlin said in an interview once invoking Jesus Christ. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I identify with that, too. <laughs> and so when I said that where can the kindness be most valuable, of course, kindness is valuable no matter what, uh, no matter where you are. The kindness is always going to be the right mode of being. Though it did remind me of the fact that, you know, if there is someone who is very self-satisfied, smug, and even cruel, and you're staring at them, and then you're looking at someone else who's feeling isolated and questioning whether or not they have any friends in the world, then the kindness could be of potentially greater service to the person who needs to know that they're not isolated. And not that this smug, obnoxious person doesn't need to be dealt with, too, but it's not quite as straightforward how you're going to deal with that, because, you know, that does need to be dealt with as well. Though I, there's a delineation at times between who is going to get that karma and who isn't. It can oftentimes be that the smug person and the isolated person are, in fact, the same person, but just showing outwardly in a different type of behavior. Well said, my friend. Well said. Yeah. Very wise. (laughs) <laughs> I try my best, as I think we all yeah, do. Yeah, no, you're always extremely sensitive and beautiful. Yeah, I, thank you. I, I appreciate that, and I greatly appreciate you sharing a little of your soul with us today, because I, I think it, this is going to reach a lot of folks and, and a lot of folks who need to hear just those types of words. Tell me, if somebody wants to see more of your work, if they want to get in touch with you, where's the best way for them to do that, social media-wise or in any other way? Well, on Facebook, there are three places currently. There's the standard page, which is approaching a maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. And then there is the page that I launched 
simultaneous to launching the page for Kenny the Gun, which is also my name. So mm-hmm. there's Michael McGlone, the standard Facebook page. Then there's Michael McGlone. I don't know if you'd call it the official page or sure, it's the more, fan page, if you will, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Though it's definitely more personal than that for me because if someone writes me there, I definitely respond. But it is more of a professional representation there than the other page, though everything, of course, is very personal and will be dealt with personally. Mm -hmm. And Kenny the Gun, too. That's another page on Facebook that exists. And something I am looking to get as much attention to as I can is the YouTube channel for Kenny. I want to encourage people very much to go there and to explore and to see if there are things there that they will find amusing. I feel confident they will. And you were saying you were watching it earlier. I was, and and I was laughing my butt off, man. And that's something else I wanted to to share with you, that the YouTube channel is videos that show on surface in many ways the more comedic stylings and style and embodiment of Kenny the Gun. Though the darkness in the story is implicit there, and in the series – you actually go very deep into his childhood and what happened for him and what motivates a certain element in his life that could use more light. And so you had said before that there's something very comedic, which is true, mm-hmm. and very funny about Kenny. And I wanted to let you know that the darker side of his life is something that is definitely explored in the series, and I think you'll be very gratified by when we produce that, and that's on your TV. Yeah, so let's talk about Kenny then, because honestly, it's the new big project for you, right? I'm guessing you've got other things in the hopper, but... It's the forerunner. Yeah. Other things are in discussion, and Mm -hmm. there are pursuits in a variety of different ways, though Kenny is a commitment, and it's my promise to you and everyone that this is going to be on your TV. So that's a part of my daily life, that commitment, that promise. So let's talk a little bit about who Kenny actually is. How did he crop up as a character in Michael McGlone's mind? How did that come out into actual reality, and where does it go from here? Well, I'll tell you, Kenny was born of my desire to entertain. Mm -hmm. I was on the set of a movie called The Bone Collector. We were working on a soundstage in Montreal. What a great movie and, that was, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. And it was the first time that I wore a gun. I believe it was the first time that I wore a gun on screen. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel something that was enjoyable. And more than enjoyable, it connected to something that I obviously wanted to explore more. And that wasn't gun play, mm-hmm. but it was character logical. It was how does the enjoyment of this gun being on my hip affect me in my conduct? I can't explain it beyond, as I said before, my desire to entertain because I felt so new and interesting with the gun that I would walk up to my co-stars and embody this character that came just flashing out of my imagination. And he was called Kenny the Gun. Mm-hmm. I would look at them and I would say, you're talking to Kenny. <laughs> and then I'd flip my jacket back. You know the move, the signature move for Kenny. And sure. if anyone doesn't know the signature move, please, on the YouTube Check channel, out YouTube, there's a exactly. dedicated 
to describing the <laughs> use of this and the reason for this and all of that. So he's got the signature move. And that came just from me wanting to entertain my friends mm -hmm. and how this gun made me feel. This gun made me feel like there was a different personality that needed to be born of it. And there was. And his name was Kenny the Gun. And I would flip the jacket back and I would tap the gun and I would say, the gun. And <laughs> they would laugh. And it was Queen Latifah who said, you got to do something with that. And when she said that, it resonated with me, and I knew she was right. And I knew, I think, on some very deep level that I was going to do something with it, too. Mm -hmm. Though at the time, my life was different, and there were different goals and even awarenesses of how do you do something with something like that, et cetera, questions that I didn't necessarily at those times feel like I had the answer to. Sure. So Kenny existed in the background for a bit. And then I realized at one point I had to create a show around him because he wasn't just an instrument of amusement. He was also an instrument of a story that I wanted to tell. And that evolved. So originally he was this person who didn't have any kind of shape or background or history that had any kind of dimension. It was basically just a fun character that had this signature move who would make people laugh. And then it was, oh, he's that. And there's a reason that he has this signature move. And there's a whole history behind that, that exists and that's not without darkness mm -hmm. and that's one of the qualities of the series that i love so much is that in one scene or even one moment you can be enjoying yourself and enjoying kenny's character or a situation a great deal and be amused and in the next moments or in the next series of moments undergo a, a substantial emotional alteration because circumstances are quite different and you're looking at something much different. And that is also a part of my life. That comes from my life. Okay. Because I've been in scenarios where personally it's been very funny and then suddenly it's not funny anymore. And it's almost immediate that it's not funny anymore. And it was also very true. And I thought, gosh, if you can thread the needle of creating a show that can ride that fine line between amusement and dread, there's something that I think people are going to respond to because I think they can all identify with that. It doesn't matter where you come from. I believe whether you had as pugnacious a history as Kenny has had or not, I believe that you can associate with the fact that this circumstance, these circumstances mm -hmm. change dramatically very quickly. And it's just the destiny for all of us. As I said before, we're on a ball floating in space. Sure. You know, we're not necessarily knowing why, how, etc. all of these different things. There's so much mystery surrounding us. And so much can change or appear to change in an instant. You feel one way, then you feel another way. And there you are. Okay. So Kenny is in many ways an instrument of exploring that and expressing that as well.
for myself and for the audience. That's pretty cool. And like I said, I, I've really been enjoying watching him. Is it fair to say that Kenny the Gun is a dramedy? Yeah, obviously that's it's got perfectly said. That's exactly how we're describing it when we're in discussion about it. Is there some news you could give us or something as of right now? How is that going along? Only that it's coming. Okay. That's Fair. the news I can give you. It is, it is coming. <laughs> and I so much look forward to it landing and it being accessible to all of us in the way that it will be. I thank you so much, Alex, for your interest in it. Absolutely. And again, to everyone listening, please feel free to reach out in any way. Info at michaelmaglone.com is also an email solution if someone wanted to reach out very directly. That information is also on my website, which is michaelmaglone.com. Right. But if you didn't want to go to the website, you can just send a message to info at michaelmaglone.com. I will get that. And the YouTube channel is there for everyone to enjoy. And I want as many people as possible to be enjoying it because that's what it's for in addition to being the platform for greater exposure of the character and the show and the selling of the show. That's fantastic. And, and honestly, Michael, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast with us today. I, I think everyone who will have the chance to listen to this is going to be blown away by uh <laughs> the roller coaster of stuff that we've talked about, to say the least. And, oh, my goodness. And thank you again for sharing your time with us. And we will speak with you again. Thank you again. Thank you, Alex. And you're so very welcome. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to audio engineer J.P. Conk and senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thanks for listening.